So Parsha Yitro begins with what Yitro heard about. He heard about the splitting of the sea. He heard about the war with Amalek. And some of the points that I want to go into about why those things are important, I want to start with uh, a snippet of actually what happened at the splitting of the sea uh, to tag to last week's um, three plus seven hours of droshing that happened from Shomo. May he be blessed. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he talked about the Yom Suf and how it split and how it made like a tunnel and things like that. So let's, let's dive in a little bit more, pun intended. So Legends of the Jews 3, uh, section 1 reads, And there were other miracles besides the sea yielded the Israelites whatever their hearts desired. So the sea yielded whatever our hearts desired. Connect that to the fact that the manna tasted like whatever we desired. Connect that to Yeshua, who is the representation of the manna, the representation of the splitting of the sea. And he's going to taste like whatever we desire. This is why it's always important to understand Yeshua's words are always, who do you say I am? We always have to come back to asking Hashem to teach us about His Son. I'm going to scoot over a little bit because I'm hitting the cord here. It says, if a child cried as it lay in the arms of its mother, she needed but to stretch out her hand and pluck an apple or some fruit and quiet it. The waters were piled up to the height of 1,600 miles, and they could be seen by all the nations of the earth. So my question is, did Yitro really hear about this, or did he see about it? And we know the answer is yes. The great wonder of Israel's passage through the sea took place in the presence of three Avot and six Emot, the three patriarchs, the three fathers, and the six matriarchs are mothers. Who are they? Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, Leah, Bilha, Zilpah. Interesting, Legend of the Jews added in Bilha and Zilpah. That's awesome. It goes on to say, For God fetched them out of their graves. To the shores of the Yamsuf to be to be witnesses of the marvelous deeds wrought in behalf of their children. So Tekiatami team, not so far fetched. The resurrection of the dead that happened at the Yamsuf. Side note, spoiler alert, that also happens at Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. And for those of you who've already read the notes, Mount Moriah. Because Mount Moriah, the place where the Akedah happened, also put itself, or Hashem put it, on top of Mount Sinai to give the Torah. And he also brought those who were perished already, who fell asleep, who died, brought them up from their graves, even those people in Sheol, and brought them up to see all of this. So, going on, it says, The Egyptians endeavored to save themselves... By conjuring charms, for they were great magicians. Side note, shouts out to 
Eliezer ben Abraham, who shared this uh, this week that the Amalekites were also sorcerers. And this is why it's important to read the Midrash from the Midrash says on Parsha Shemot about what was the significance of Moshe having to be on top of a mountain with Aharon and Hur to pray with Emunah hands. Because it says that his hands were lifted, his hands were Emunah. That's what they really called his hands in the text. This was important because the Amalekites were using sorcery and they were using all of the zodiacs and horoscopes because that's how they roll. They don't do the mazalot like we do, they do the horoscopes. So they were using horoscopes and all that kind of sorcery and astronomy stuff to confound Yisrael in battle. So, Baruch Hashem for Moshe, who was on top of the mountain saying, let's just reorder the stars and the calculations because Hashem is the one who wills those things into being like we pray every night to start our evening prayers. So yes, ladies and gentlemen, Moshe did that. So the Amalekites were like, I thought the stars were supposed to be over here. I thought this horoscope said this, and I thought this zodiac says this people need to do this, and we were going to win the battle. And Moshe said, nope. Okay, so that all happened. So back over here to the sea, it says, of Ten measures of ma magic that were allotted to the world, they had taken nine for themselves. Who did this? Egypt. Egypt was like, oh, there's ten measures of magic coming into the world? Let me take nine of them. And whoever else wants that other one, whatever. This is why it's so important to know why did the plagues make this ascending revelation? Because... The Egyptians already knew everything about sorcery, everything about magic. So turning a pole into a serpent and doing all that, that's nothing. That's children do that. So that's important because what's the message behind this? Hashem says, okay, so you took nine tenths of the magic that I gave to the world as a gift. And now you're using it for corruption. Even if that's the case, I'm going to give you an opportunity to lay aside that which so easily entangles so that you can fix and focus your eyes upon the author, perfecter, and finisher of trueness of faith. True Amuna. Look at Hashem. Look at the Holy One, blessed is He. So Moshe, in a sense, was already showing us what Yeshua meant when He said, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. Because every time Paro looked at Moshe, he was looking at Hashem. And that's, that's, that may sound crazy to the ear, but everything that Moshe did was not about Moshe himself. Moshe was like, I got a message. It's not mine. Matter of fact, it's so much not mine that I can't even speak it. I got to tell Aaron, and then Aaron's going to tell you. So everything that Paro saw Moshe do was what Hashem himself had already said, which is why Yeshua tells us what? The only thing I speak is that which my Father in Heaven has already speaks. And also, I only do what my Father in Heaven does. So, lining up all those texts is very, very critical to put in the backdrop of why this is so important in the Midrash that we're reading. So then it goes on to say, And indeed, they succeeded for the moment. So at the Yom Suf, after they've been through a whole almost year of plagues, they still won't give up, and now they decide, let's use more magic in the sea. 1,600 miles of water up in the air, no problem. 
let's just go ahead and do some more stuff. So, it says they escaped out of the sea. So they used magic, they made it through the sea. The Egyptians did. But the, the proverbial fat lady did not sing yet. So, because, you know, pun intended, because the song at the sea totally happens after that. But this was before that song, so it wasn't over. So, here's what happened. But immediately the sea said to itself, Hmm, self, how can I allow the pledge entrusted me by God to be taken from me? So the sea was already like, Hashem told me I was going to get to keep these people. Uh, where do they think they're going? That's important for us children of Hashem, because Hashem has already pledged things to us. What did he pledge to us? Yeshua says, the thief comes to kill and steal. He seeks to destroy, right? He seeks to do all that stuff. But what do I do? I come to give life and give life abundantly. That's our pledge. So if you're not experiencing life and life abundantly, you need to take a lesson from the sea because you're going to have to get busy and go to work to go get your pledge. So, the sea taught us that. And then it says, And the water rushed after the Egyptians and dragged back every man of them. This is what we do every single time we pick up our humash. Every single time we pick up our siddur. Every single time we do an act of kindness. Every time we turn to Hashem and say, Shema Yisrael, we are, we are literally emulating the sea going after its pledge, and bringing everything back. Because that's the power of Hashem, that you barely need to touch Him in order for things to take effect in your life. Sometimes we may feel like, oh my gosh, I don't know that much. I don't do that much. I don't have time for this. I'm too tired for that. But do you say Shema? Have you done anything nice for someone? We have a weekly Musar class every week that teaches us all these different Midot. A person who rectifies their Midot, you're already beginning to touch Hashem. Because not a lot of people spend time doing Musar at all. If at all. So the very fact that you're realizing, oh, let me refine this part of myself. That refinement is going to allow Hashem's light to come out of you brighter. You're going to remove the proverbial filters. You're going to remove the junk that's in the way. So whether you're doing Musar, whether you're praying, whether you're studying Torah, whether you're being kind to people that you work with or driving with on the road, you are doing amazing and immaculate things in the world that not a lot of people are really stopping to even care about or think about. Sometimes we need to realize the darkness that surrounds us. So much time we spend maybe chasing after different ambitions and dreams of other communities, of other Jews that we know, of orthodoxy and higher levels of orthodoxy and heredity and all that kind of stuff. And we forget, we just need to transform the darkness. That's not a cop-out to not chase after those things, because guess what? As you get closer to those things, you are refining the darkness. But at the same time, do not forget what's not happening in the world and the privilege and the opportunity that we have to take advantage of that moment and actually do something to affect removing darkness from before light. Next part says, among the Egyptians were the two arch magicians, Janus and Jambres. Oh my goodness, who are these children? 
whose kids are those, as they say on the West Coast? Um, these people belong to Balaam, you know, the, the guy who rides on a donkey, but not for the sake of salvation, not for the sake of heaven. And um, his children are the primary sorcerers that came before Parel at the staff meeting that uh, we had the snakes and the stuff happen, all that, the staff swallowing up the staff. So Janus and Dramas were there, they were at the golden calf, and they were also at the sea, children of Belam. Now, Shaul Hashliach, Paul the Apostle, tells us that these two people are notorious for opposing Moshe, but yet we see no mention of Janus and Jambres in the written Torah anywhere. But when we look at the second Torah, a.k.a. the Torah Shebaal Peh, the oral Torah, we see them everywhere. So, it says, they made wings for themselves. Can man fly? Apparently we can if we use magic. That's not an admonishment to go use magic. But anyway, it's possible. It says, they also said to Paro, okay, wait, I skipped a very important line. So they made the wings, then they flew up to heaven. Just a quick one-way trip to Shemaim. Just make some wings, let's go to heaven. That's how we do it. Um, I'm dumbfounded by that, obviously, because we've made rockets, we've made airplanes, and still no one's ever flown into heaven, but yet you can have two guys make wings and go straight to heaven? Okay. Uh, they also said to Paro, If God himself hath done this, we can effect naught. But if this work has put has been put into the hands of his angel, then we will shake his lieutenants into the sea. They proceeded at once to use their magic contrivances, whereby they dragged the angels down. Janus and Jambres, two very, very wicked, corrupt men who don't like the Torah, totally was like, yeah, we're going to take on angels. And were kind of successful. That's scary. Says they these cried up, these the angels, the angels cried up to Hashem, save us, O God, for the waters are coming into our soul. Speak thy word that will cause the magicians to drown in the mighty waters. And Gabriel, mighty mighty Gabriel, cried to God. By the greatness of thy glory, dash your adversaries to pieces. Hereupon, God bade Mikael go and execute judgment upon the two magicians. The archangel seized hold of Janus and Jambres, because that's how legit he is, by the locks of their hair, that's why you shouldn't have long hair, and he shattered them against the surface of the water. So, Mikael comes in and ends that. So, Yitro heard about this. <laughs> now, the crazy part is, go back to Parsha Shemot, Yitro was sitting in a seat next to the father of Janus and Jambres because Paro was trying to figure out what do I do with these multiplying Israelites. So, Yitro was sitting there with Belam and also sitting there with Eov, a.k.a. Job. So these three gentlemen were the counselors to Pyro to try to tell him, hey, here's some, here's some ideas, O king. 
who wants to exalt himself over all the worlds. Yitro decided, you know what, this is not a good idea, I'm out. Belam, of course, stayed. Eov said nothing, so there were different results and things from that. So with that happening, Yitro ran away, got disenfranchised from a whole bunch of other places, and ultimately was brought back to Israel on the other side of the glorious redemptions, the glorious salvations that ensued. So the point of that is, you know, there may be times where we're just on the wrong side of the fence. We've been uh, working with the enemy, i.e. we've been in sin, we've been doing a whole lot of it, and just kind of like we feel so far away from Hashem, I can't believe I turned my back on Yeshua, can't believe I gave up my Judaism. You may have done things like that and may have been against Israel, but Yitro, because there's a whole parasha named after him, if you flee away from those things and decide to humble yourself, because he who humbles himself will be exalted, guess what? You get to come back and you get to join the, the Jewish people. But, Bezrat Hashem, because sometimes if you keep forsaking Hashem, you can put yourself into a hard, hard position and may never return. But it's possible. So Yitro heard about that, and he acted upon it. And it uses the term in the Torah that Yitro did the Shema. It says, Vayishma Yitro. Like, Yitro was like Shema Yisrael. So, here's what's so amazing and so important about that. There is a wonderful More S, because she's a woman, so I don't know how to say lady teacher. But a lady teacher, uh, it, her name is Shira Smiles Shlita. First time I ever listened to a lady drosher, but it was so important that I understand what exactly was going on with this meal of Yitro. Because it calls it Yitro's meal. Yitro's meal leads us into the giving of the Torah. So don't skip that first part of the parsha. Because what stuck out to me was it says that the participants were eating in the presence of God. Where in the world and how in the world do you eat in the presence of God if you're not in the temple, if you're not on Mount Sinai, and if you're not on Mount Moriah? Well, that, uh, that particular teaching I listened to shared some things in the notes. I also shared some things. But I want to get to this point here because about the whole fleeing and running away from being against Judaism and stuff. It says the Tana Deve Eliyahu. So these are Shira Smiles notes that she posted and it was awesome. Tana Deve Eliyahu chapter 5 relates that before Yitro approached Moshe, he sent him the following message. Why is that important? The Midrash tells us clouds of glory were so turned up. They're like, ain't nobody coming in, including Yitro. So Yitro was like, how do I get a message to Moshe? We're past cell phones, so uh, I'm going to need to shoot an arrow. Maybe the cloud will let it in. I don't know. The clouds of glory is like, oh, you're really insistent. Okay, so for, for this once, I'll allow something outside the clouds to come in. Because he was a penitent. He was a person who made teshuva. Clouds of glory were like, sure, come on in. You repent, I take you. So the arrow comes to Moshe, and he sees it. He's like, oh, I got a text message from Yitro, and there's all this stuff on here. And also Hashem himself said, okay, Moshe, time for you to get up, go out and greet Yitro. So here's what the Tana Devei Eliyahu says. 
in the name of your two children. I swear that I will not enter the camp unless you come out to greet me and receive me with kindness. Moshe immediately greeted his father-in-law and received him kindly. Commentaries wonder why Yitro felt the need for Moshe to honor him. Why Yitro felt the need for Moshe to honor him. Again, we just talked about the all the stuff that goes along with Yitro. And Yitro's like, I need you to come out and greet me. I need you to honor me. It's like, sir, you've done so much stuff. I don't even think that's something we need to be talking about right now. But Yitro thought otherwise. May we all do the same in our teshuva. May we think otherwise. There's a lot of reasons why we should not be standing here today. But Hashem thought otherwise. The Gaon Rav Mikael for Schlager. Goodness. Okay, a disciple of Avnei Nezer who served as a Rav in Baltimore, once shared the following insightful explanation with me. A person's sins creates a Ruach Hatuma, a force of impurity, also known as an angel of impurity, or a, uh, what do they call those people? The, uh, they, they come against, accuser. You create accusing angels for yourself. So, we read about Hashem is the one who fashions and forms ministering angels, right? And so Hashem made us in His image, so guess what? We can create and fashion ministering angels. They can also be uh, accusing angels as well. So that's something to take note. So our sins create that. Which accompanies Him wherever He goes. You ever wonder why weird things happen to you and you're just like, what's going on? That's one of the reasons says, but when this sinner receives honor from a godly person, a servant of Hashem who is dedicated to holiness, these forces of impurities flee. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, they, they become frightened and flee. That's important. Goes on to say, Yitro, ha who had practiced every form of idolatry, undoubtedly was accompanied by multitudes of impure forces. He could not have entered the holy camp of Israel with these impure forces accompanying him. Yitro therefore asked Moshe to honor him so that these impure forces would depart. Now we have a crazy studier in our congregation by the name of Shira Shlita. She decided to give commentary on the commentary, and this is what it says. So maybe that's why we must attach ourselves to a Zadik, because even if he is not here in this world, but in his name we ask Hashem to cleanse us, it is in his honor that the impurity departs. I don't know if we know how deep that is, what she just said. So the in the merits of, or in the name of, so-and-so Zadik. Now, let's take Yeshua out of the category for a second, because that's just cheating, which is totally fine. But, we already see the prototypes and the predecessors in Judaism. Uh, we have the different uh, Rabbanim and Zadikim who have existed in generations past, that literally people pray to and pre don't pray to him. 
pray in their name to Hashem. Today, people do that. So it's not weird for us to pray in the name of a Zadik who has departed, who has ascended into the heavens, and who intercedes constantly at the right hand of the Father for us, and who says, I am with you even to the end of this age. Matthew 28, verse 20. So with that being said, whenever we're mentioning their name of any Zadik that we're praying in their name, it's as if they are greeting us and giving us honor, which is totally backwards in the mind. But that's the truth. And when that happens, all of your sins that created those impure things, they all that gets pushed away. So Yeshua dying for our sins, like, get the connections there. Those impurities that are results of that, those are departed from you. Those flee from you. Okay? This is why it's important for us to constantly stay in a place of cleansing and purity. This is why we do the daily Tamid offering. This is why we say the Shema every day. This is why there's Yom Kippur every year. Okay? Every Rosh Hodesh. Like, think about all the different portals that Hashem has given us to go, do you need to be cleansed from your sins today? Do you need salvation today? The time is now. Okay? So, that's the meaning of that. But she wasn't done yet. So here's what she said. Maybe because he is in the presence of Hashem. Oh, goodness. Because Yeshua totally is in the presence of Hashem. He's at the right hand. Good night. So, in the presence of Hashem, honors him for what he does for us. All that he prayed for us and still prays for us. All the love for Torah. And the fact that he wants all to overcome Torah and serve Hashem. This honor causes the impurity to flee from us. May we always say in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach Hazadik that we attached ourselves. And may he be honored. So our impurity flees from us every time we mention his name, Hashem Yeshua. Dean room. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but I, I definitely need some multitudes of impurities to get out the way. So last thing I want to share, because there's so much. Let's go to Matan Torah. I mentioned about the mountain. This is like one of my most favorite things because Legends of the Jews is notorious for not sourcing out where they get all their information from. They do have footnotes if you buy the book. But I was wondering why in the world is Mount Sinai the, known as the floating and flying mountain? And why was it so important that that was the particular mountain that Hashem gave us the Torah from? So out of nowhere, Legends of the Jews was like, yeah, you know, because Mount Moriah just separated itself like the holiday that women separate every week and cast itself out into the Arabian desert. And that's Mount Sinai. That's where the Torah was given. Baruch Hashem. And you're like, Legends, what is wrong with you? That's cheating. Tell me where you got that from. <laughs> so Book of Our Heritage brings down in the study of Shavuot that same drop. And I'm like, okay, Book of Our Heritage, that's your source. And it's like, oh, you just wait one year, Amit. Because I'm going to give you another source. Yalkut Reuvini. I have no idea what that is, but that just sounds so Jewish and so not in English. It says, Yitro section 3. Yalkut Reuvini. What does it say? When the Torah was received, Har Moriah, Mount Moriah, uprooted itself and brought to the midbar 
So look out. Mount Moriah was uprooted and brought to the Midbar, to the desert. So that the Torah would be given on this special site, it appears that the source for this Hidush, by the way, Hidush with a Chet, is like this, uh, this thought, this revelation that you get. Uh, so if you're ever thinking about, like yesterday we had an a example of this when someone was asking, is there a custom to bury Jews in like a hill or Zadikim in a hill or a mountain or something like that, like as a high place? And I was like, oh, I don't know, let me look. And it was like, oh yeah, this one time when Moshe was buried on a mountain, Aharon was buried on a mountain, the patriarchs were buried in Machpelah, which uh, Hadar, Shlitav, said, oh yeah, which is probably on a mountain. And I was like, yeah, go figure. And Yeshua was the ultimate question because it says Yeshua was placed in a tomb by a gentleman named Yosef of Arimathea, which that name translates to Yosef of the high place. And I was just like, good night. And it says that he was put in the side of a mountain and it calls the mountain a Selah in the Hebrew, which is the same name of the rock that traveled with us in the wilderness. So that's a full example of how Hidush works. You're just thinking about something and you're just like, oh yeah, this one time, da 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 and you can start putting everything together. That's called a Hidush. So may there be a blessing upon Magi and Yashenu, every single member, to have a Hidush. Every time you study the Torah or pray or fellowship with one another, may it just overflow like crazy. Because Yeshua says, if we place our trust in Him, rivers of living waters will flow from our bellies. So may that be so. May we see that in our lifetime and in our days. So anyway, the Kiddush is the Midrash Telim from Mizmor 68.9. So Yakut Reuveni, Book of Our Heritage and Legends of the Jews, all tell us about Mount Moriah coming to be Mount Sinai and all that. Well, now here's the Midrash Telim getting in the fight. It says, At the mountain which God had desired for his abode, Telim 68.17, God said, my wish is to dwell only on Sinai. But I thought Hashem placed his name on Mount Moriah, the Temple Mount, Jerusalem. Yes. Because of what we're talking about here, we all know that's also Sinai. It says, Sinai is the lowliest of all of you. For scripture says, I dwell in the high and holy place. With him also that is of a contrite and lowly spirit, Isaiah 57, 15. Hashem considers a high place one who is lowly and contrite in spirit. Hashem considers a high place one who is lowly and contrite in spirit. Drink that in. Because we could all use a lot of humility like yesterday and today and forever. And also, for though Adonai be high, yet regards he the lowly, and the haughty he knows from afar. That's from Telling 138.6. Lest it be thought, however, that God has dwelt upon Sinai for all generations, since the verse ends by saying, but Adonai will dwell in eternity, Telim 68:17. That is, God returned his presence to Shemaim. 
We read about that, the blast of the shofar, and the final blast, he's going to ascend from the mountain, the mountain will be approachable again. So, the Kehotumash says, Hashem's throne descended onto Mount Sinai, and that was Hashem's presence descending down onto the mountain. That's crazy. But anyway, after that, Hashem raises back up to the heaven, and that piece of Mount Sinai was also placed back to its rightful place. In the time to come, that's why the Mount Zion, the New Jerusalem, and all that kind of stuff is important. But don't want to get into that. Stick to this. Where did Sinai come from? Rabbi Yossi taught, out of Mount Moriah, out of the place of our forefather Yitzhak, where he had been bound as a Corban, a.k.a. the Akedah. Sinai plucked itself as a priest portion a.k.a. Taruma. Now we got Parsha Taruma coming up just a couple of weeks, Bezrat Hashem, and Taruma is all about that very first and most precious portion that we donate to Hashem, and shouts out to the ladies, y'all get to bring that holiness down into your homes every week, it's so important. That little piece of hala is called Taruma. That's greater than the first tithe, the second tithe. And even the tithe that we give to the strangers and the poor people during the third and sixth years. Ladies, you get to do this every week. This is so powerful. So Mount Moriah was like, I'm going to be a Taruma. I'm going to be like that little piece of hala, And I'm going to uproot myself and go where the Torah is given. The implications of that is just so outrageous. But it says, it. this is what Mount Moriah did. So for the Holy One... Blessed be he, said, since their father Yitzhak was bound upon this place, it is fitting that the children receive the Torah upon it. The place of the Akedah is the place where the Torah was given from. That's why that's important. Hashem was like, you're just not going to get the Torah. You're going to get the Akedah as well. Because if you have the Torah and no Akedah, you got nothing. You got the Akedah and no Torah, you still also got nothing. So... Where do we learn that? Parsha Yitro. Goes on to say, And whence do we know that Mount Moriah will be restored to its preeminence? Because it is said, The mountain of Adonai's house shall be established as the top of the mountains, Isaiah 2.2, referring to... Just wait, there's more. There's all these mountains that fly. It says, These mountains are Mount Tabor, Mount Carmel, Mount Sinai and Zion. It's four mountains. And now you also have Mount Moriah to add to that. And it says, The mountains which are Heharim. Medaleg al Heharim. Our beloved comes up on the foot of the mountains. Koldodi, come get us now. Koldodi, bring the redemption. Okay, that. Okay, so that makes five. Okay, and it says, however, this implies five mountains, which equals the number of five books in the Torah. So, if you don't have the Midrash says Parashat Shemot, please ask somebody for a picture for it, because there's a lot of snapshots like raising the dead, healing the sick, and the lame. That's in this week's Torah portion, uh, and things like that. And why was the Torah given in a thick and cloudy day like why was there darkness over the face of the earth I don't know from the sixth hour to the ninth hour uh, that's a giving of the Torah um, connection so 
Yes, what I'm implying is that Yeshua, when he was offered as an Akedah, that was also a giving of the Torah, even though the giving of the Torah was going to happen 50 days later. But we know those 50 days are connected because Pesach is not complete unless you have Shabbat. Oh, Baruch Haba B'Shem Adonai.